0: of you who are new to freedom, one of the things that we typically do here at our church is we teach through books of the Bible. And right now we are in the book of Galatians. Um, We're going to be in Galatians 5 today, so if you want to turn over there, you can go ahead and start doing that. But the book of Galatians is really broken down into three separate parts. First, there's biography, then there's theology, and then practical application. Chapters 1 and 2 are Paul lays out his spiritual autobiography. He tells us about the fact that he is a genuine apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he talks about the fact that he is preaching the one true gospel that he had received from Jesus himself. Chapters 3 and 4, Paul then begins to talk about theology. And he introduces us to two main aspects of what we believe as followers of jesus christ the first is justification by faith that you and i as followers of jesus are saved by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone and then he he talks about our adoption the fact that we are adopted into god's family and he shows us in chapters 3 and 4 that the Christian life is a movement from slavery into sonship. And then, beginning in chapter 5 and continuing into chapter 6, Paul begins to lay out some practical application. He says, everything that we've learned so far, all the things that I've taught you, the fact that you are justified by faith, the fact that you are adopted into God's family, here's how it applies to your life. So he takes the good news of the gospel, he takes the good news of Jesus' cross and the resurrection, and says, here is how it works in your everyday life. And the theme of chapters 5 and 6 is really found in verse 1 of chapter 5. It is what we've been singing about all morning, which says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Now that hits home, doesn't it? Because we love freedom. Anybody like freedom? Yeah, I mean, see, y'all love the church. No, I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about the freedom. I mean, we're in America, the land of the what? Free. We love freedom. And we often talk about freedom in either political or economic terms, don't we? And like we have freedom of speech, freedom of religion. We all want to call Dave Ramsey and say, I am debt free, right? That's what we want. We love that type of freedom. And, there's, and that, that's incredible. And those are great privileges of living in America. But here's, here's the problem. I think most of the time, the type of freedom that we're actually looking for is personal freedom. Meaning that we want to do whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it, wherever we want to do it, and with whomever we want to do it with. See, what we really want is freedom to be left alone. They just don't bother me. Leave me alone. That's the freedom that I long for. Here's the problem with that. That type of freedom is actually selfish. And it goes against what God has called us as followers of him to seek after. Because here's what I mean by that if that's the type of freedom that we're longing for, that freedom to be left alone, then it makes following Jesus incredibly inconvenient. If I just want to be left alone, if I just want to be free from anything hindering me, then that makes following God incredibly inconvenient. Now, whether you believe in God this morning or not, if there is a God, so just hang, out, hang with me for just a minute. If there is a God... I have a feeling, and I believe there is a God, obviously, but I have a feeling that if there is a God, then he would have an opinion about what I do, where I do it, and with whom I do it with. And that is the danger that we have when we seek freedom, that type of freedom, that freedom that that wants to be free from anything hindering us. See, what I believe that most people want is not freedom of religion, it is freedom from religion. And in other words, it is freedom from God intervening in their lives. So look what Paul says to the church in Galatia in verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again To the yoke of slavery. Every time the Bible talks about freedom, it is talking about being free in Christ. For freedom, Christ has set you free. See, the freedom that Jesus offers us is freedom from sin, freedom from death, and freedom from hell. If you're here with us this morning and you're not a Christ follower, you're, you're spiritually unresolved, and, and maybe you're seeking this morning, here's the reality of where you are right now. The Bible teaches that you are in slavery, slavery to sin. And for those of us who are Christ followers, before we came to know Christ, guess what? We too were slaves to sin. Our very nature is evil and depraved, and we are far from God. We're born that way, and, that, that, and that's, that's the reality of who we were and who we are before Christ. And so we are born into slavery, slaves to sin, destined to die, and spend eternity separated from God. But Jesus came, and Jesus came to set us free He came to set us free from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin. Now, in order order for us to understand our freedom, I want you to think about it in this way. As followers of Jesus, we are set free from the guilt of sin, even as we struggle to be set free from the grip of sin. See, our freedom doesn't mean that we never sin, it doesn't mean that we never make mistakes doesn't mean that we never fall short again. But what it does mean is that we are set free from the guilt of sin. there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then we spend our lives growing as Christians and being released more and more and more from the grip of sin. So what Jesus did, this freedom that Jesus gives us, that Paul's talking about, that for freedom Christ has set us free, this freedom that he's talking about, is showing us that jesus has set us free from the power of sin that is our justification that is how we are made right with god that through the cross jesus paid the penalty for our sin that's why he sets us free from the power of sin he paid the penalty for us his death he took our place and he, because he took our place, we no longer have to pay that debt. And so Jesus has set us free from the power of sin, or from the penalty of sin. But then what happens is Jesus also sets us free from the, from the power of sin. He sets us free from the penalty by paying it on the cross. He sets us free from the power of sin through our, justific- or through our sanctification, See, it is through our sanctification that you and I are made more and more like Jesus. That is the ongoing process after we become a Christian where we become more and more like him. As Peter wrote in his letter First 1 Peter that we are to be holy as God is holy. That's our sanctification. We are being made into the image of Christ that we are learning to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul's going to talk about that later on in chapter 5, what it means for us to live the fruit of the Spirit, what it means for us to live Spirit-empowered lives. That's being set free from the power of sin. And Paul is going to show us as we continue on in this letter that we we are conformed to the image of, of Jesus that we are made more and more and more like Jesus that we begin to live out this freedom that we have in Christ that we begin to live out this new identity that we have in Christ and that is our sanctification and that and that is how we are set free from the power of sin so let me sum all this this idea of freedom up in this way Jesus atoning work on the cross His death, His burial, His resurrection frees us from the penalty and the guilt of sin. That's our justification. And He also frees us from the power and the grip of sin. That is our sanctification. But here's the problem. Freedom has an enemy. And that enemy is legalism. Paul's been talking about this through this this entire letter. This, This idea of adding to the cross. Of Jesus plus gospel. And he's been talking about legalism because legalism is an enemy to our freedom. That when you and I get sucked in to having to follow the law in order to be made right with God. And in order to be sanctified before God. Then what happens is we begin to lose sight of what really ultimately matters. See, what legalism does is it makes the non-essentials essentials. Legalism takes good things and turns them into God things. What legalism does is it robs us of our joy, it robs us of our freedom, and it robs us of who we are in Christ. And we know from this letter that Paul wrote that this group of of individuals from Jerusalem that that are called the Judaizers, they had infiltrated the church in Galatia. And they had taught the Galatians that in order for them to be made right with God, and in order for them to be good Christians, they had to follow the law of Moses. They had to keep the law, particularly circumcision. And they said that, law, being circumcised, is what identifies you as a good Christian. In other words, for you to be a Christian, you first must become a Jew. And that was what they were teaching the church in Galatia. Unfortunately, the Galatians fell into the trap. They bought into it. They started, they started believing that in order for them to be good Christians, they had to be circumcised. They had to follow the law of Moses. They bought into this Jesus plus works gospel and so paul in this letter to the church in galatia has been exhorting them to reject the jesus plus legalism and return to a life of grace listen to what he says beginning in verse two look i paul say to you if you accept circumcision. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Now, in this this passage, what Paul is doing is he is taking the idea of being circumcised in order to be made right with God as a symbol of of the religion of human achievement. He's using it as as a way to show how We try to earn God's favor through our works. He's really giving us a picture of what a legalistic lifestyle looks like. Now, why was circumcision such a big issue for Paul? The reason that it was such a big issue for Paul because he knew that our our understanding of justification by faith, adoption into God's family, and being transformed in the image of Christ was at stake. And here's what I mean. If circumcision became mandatory. For all Christians. Whether Jews or Gentiles. Then get this. Then our salvation. Then our justification by faith. or Our justification before God. Would be based on our works. And not upon God's grace. That's why this is such an issue for Paul. Because he's saying, listen, if you don't get this right, if we don't get this right, then we're going to live our lives as if there is something that we can do to justify ourselves before a holy God. so Paul, is that's why he's so adamant about it. Because you and I are either justified before God by what we do ourselves or exclusively by what Christ has done on the cross for us. That's why Paul is pounding this and pounding this and pounding this. He's like, listen, if we don't get it, church, if we don't understand it, then we're going to spend our lives spinning our wheels trying to earn God's favor. As opposed to placing our faith in what he's already done for us. So for Paul, circumcision was a way of saying that what Jesus did on the cross was not enough. That, that maybe perhaps I need to help Jesus out a little bit and let me be circumcised in order to be made right with God. Now, the reality is is we don't view circumcision that way anymore, right? I mean, none of us are going, well, you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. However, oftentimes what we do as Christians is we think that we can be made right with God by the way we serve in the church, or volunteer in the church, or maybe we're we're made right with God by the fact that we have our personal devotions, or we pray, or read the Bible, or or we 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 you know we've been baptized or confirmed as a kid, or maybe you know as a child you walked the aisle or raised a hand as if those things could save us, as if those things made us right with God. And so what we end up doing is we put we put all these traditions and all these things in our lives in order to be made right with god and paul said no, no no the reason that you and i are made right with god is simply because of the work of jesus on the cross not what any nothing that you and i can do there's nothing that we can do if we try to be justified before god by anything we do guess what we are no longer free We are placing ourselves back into bondage. That's what Paul says in verse 1. He says, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. saying, don't go back into slavery. Don't go back by adding your own works. No, you must be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Listen, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're standing before God depends entirely upon what Christ has done on the cross, period. That's where you're standing before God rests, on what Jesus has done on the cross. Not on your personal devotions, although those help us become more and more like Christ, but our standing before God doesn't rest on that. Not on your service in the church, not on your confirmation as a child, not on your baptism, not on walking and out. None of that stuff makes us right with God. The thing that makes us right with God is Jesus' work on the cross and us placing our faith and trust in that, and that alone. So what Paul does is he shows us that if we're trying to, to be made right with God by anything other than the work of Christ, then we're actually enslaving ourselves. And in this section of Scripture, what he does is he walks us through three consequences of living a lifestyle of legalism and two major differences between living a a life of flesh and living a life of faith. Look what he says in verse 2. And this is the first consequence of, of, uh, of living a life of legalism. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, in other words, if you live... Based upon your human achievement, in order to be made right with God, if you accept circumcision, if you live a legalistic lifestyle, Christ will be of no advantage to you. The first consequence of legalism is that you will view Christ's work as insufficient. That you'll think, oh, maybe I need to help him out a little bit. As if the cross, as as if his death on the cross needed some help. And you'll constantly be living your life as if, oh man, I need to help Jesus out. I need to do more. I need to, I need to not rest in his work on the cross. I need to, to, to help him. And so by receiving circumcisions, what the Galatians were saying was that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his death on the cross was insufficient. It was insufficient to save them and it was insufficient to sanctify them. And if you and I buy into that lifestyle, that legalistic lifestyle, we are saying the exact same thing. That Jesus' work on the cross is insufficient. When we accept the idea that our righteousness is based upon our own works, then what we are saying is we are saying that the work of Christ was not enough. Think about that. If you're saying that your righteousness is based upon what you can do, then you are saying that what Jesus did isn't enough. But here's the reality. With Jesus, it is all or nothing. We are either justified by the law or we're justified by faith. We're either saved by our works or we're saved by grace. We either rely on rules for our salvation or we trust Christ alone. We cannot have it both ways. It doesn't work that way. And when the Judaizers told the Galatians that they had to get circumcised in order to become Christians, they were adding the law to the gospel. And they were saying that that Moses and the law had to finish what Jesus could only begin. So I was I was reading this week about um, a story, a true story about that happened several years ago. But uh, 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 a guy was uh, his grandfather had passed away, and he was going through his grandfather's stuff, and he remembered his grandfather talking about having this baseball signed by Babe Ruth. And so this man he was up in his attic and he was digging through all the boxes and all his grandfather's stuff and and all of his memorabilia and all these things and he finally comes across this baseball. And he starts examining it. Starts looking at it. And and he can see that on that baseball there is a signature. And is and, it, and it's faded and it's difficult to read and it's hard to to get a picture of it but he but he really examines it he begins looking at it and he notices that 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 word the the signature is in fact Babe Ruth's signature the problem is hard to see it had faded over the years and decades and 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 it and the the time it had spent in the attic and so the man says well you know what I'm going to do I'm going to trace it And that's exactly what he does. He gets a pen and he traces Babe Ruth's signature on this baseball. Well, you all know how the story ends. He took something that was priceless. And because he added his work to it, it became worthless. What Paul is saying is that you and I do the same thing to the cross of Jesus when we think that we have to add our works to it. We begin to view Christ's work as insufficient. But Paul's not done. He's going to show us that the second consequence of legalism is that we're obligated to keep the entire law. We're obligated to keep the entire law. Look what he says in verse 3. I testify again. In other words, I've already told you guys, but I'm going to say it one more time. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Here's the the reality. If you and I want to be made right with God by keeping the law, we have to keep all of it. We can't pick and choose which aspects of the law we want to keep. We have to keep all of it, or we have to trust Christ and his work on the cross that's what paul's saying you can't just choose a small part of the law if you choose any of the law to be made right with god then you have to follow all of the law the law demands perfect obedience how you doing with perfect obedience probably the same way i am failing miserably right none of us can perfectly keep the law None of us can keep... There's only one person who has ever been able to keep the law, and that is Jesus Christ, which is why his death on the cross is sufficient for our salvation. Because you and I can't keep the law. Yet Paul says if we want to be made right with God because of the law, because of keeping rules, we can't just pick the ones we like. We have to follow all of them. And not just the top ten the Ten Commandments, we have to keep all of Leviticus. When's the last time you read Leviticus? It's been a long time for most of you probably. Because we get bogged down on those rules like, why is this a rule? Why is this a law? Well, God had his reason for it. We don't have time to get into it today. But the reality is if we want to be justified before God by keeping the law, then we have to keep every single bit of it. But then Paul has a third consequence. And this one I think hits, hits home in a lot of ways. Verse 4, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So the third consequence is we become alienated from Christ's grace. Now, what I want you to know is that Paul is not talking about the Galatians losing their salvation. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about two vastly different ways that you and I live our lives. One, we live by the law, by keeping rules and regulations in order to be made right with God, in order to earn God's favor. The other is we live by faith, by trusting in the finished work of Christ and his work, not only to save us, but also to make us more and more like him. And so Paul, in this text, he's not discussing and saying they're going to lose their salvation. But what he is saying is, and here's the underlying principle that he's saying that if you and I try to justify ourselves before God, if you and I try to be made right with God on the basis of our own works, then Jesus becomes a stranger to us. Not in the sense that we lose our salvation, but we lose access to His grace. And what ends up happening, and you guys have seen this, I know, that those who follow a legalistic lifestyle are the most ungracious people you've ever met. Have you noticed that? Like anyone who's, who's, who says, you have to follow these rules to be made right with God, they're the most unhappy, ungracious people. Why? Because they can't offer grace to anyone because they've lost access to the grace that Jesus has already given them. They have alienated themselves from christ as paul says they've fallen away from grace what that means if you and i have fallen away from grace that means that we're living according to the flesh that means we're living in our own power we're living based upon our own abilities rather than living by grace through faith in the power of the holy spirit so what Paul is ultimately saying is that if you and I try to to live by legalism, by the law. Then we are going to lose power in our Christian life. Our, our, our Christian life is going to be powerless why? Because we're not resting in the Holy Spirit. We're not relying upon the Holy Spirit. And it is through the Holy Spirit that we receive power to actually live the Christian life. Like you and I can't even make ourselves more like Jesus on our own. We need the Holy Spirit dwelling and thriving within us in order for us to actually become more and more like jesus so if we're trying to rely on our own works if we're trying to lie on our rely on our own abilities if we're living according to the flesh then we're not going to be living according to the power of the holy spirit and our christian life is going to end up being powerless we're not going to have grace for others we're not going to have grace for ourselves. We're going to continually be beating ourselves up because we didn't measure up. We fall short as opposed to resting in God's grace and saying his grace is sufficient for me. Isn't that what Paul said to the church in Corinth? That as he battled, as he struggled, he said, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. and when you and I live by the spirit we realize that his grace is sufficient for us it's sufficient for our justification and it's also sufficient for our sanctification being made more and more like jesus so those those are the consequences of of legalism but then paul shifts gears, and he begins to show us the difference between living in the flesh versus living by faith. And the first major difference is this. The first difference is our approach to personal righteousness. Our approach to personal righteousness. Now, we know that God has called us to be holy. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, Be holy, for I am holy. Here's the reality. You and I don't have the ability to be holy. And yet God has called us to be holy. But in our own selves, our own works, our own merit, we can't be holy. Which is why we have to live in the Spirit. We don't live by this flesh. We don't live by our own abilities. We live in the power of the Holy Spirit who transforms us, who shapes us, who molds us, who makes us more and more like Jesus. But when we live according to our own merit, here's what happens. If I'm living according to my own merit, my own strength, my own flesh, guess what? My holiness Rest entirely upon my shoulders. So, if I'm living in the in my in my flesh, if I'm trying to earn God, be close to God because of my own merit, then the burden for holiness rests completely upon me. Now, I don't know about you, but I do not want the burden of holiness falling on me. I don't want the bur- me trying to earn be righteous. In my own strength. Because the reality is I am entirely unrighteous. Just ask my wife. In my own strength, I am ridiculously unrighteous. And so are you. That's the truth. None of us can measure up. And yet, if we're living according to our own flesh, our own power, we think that being righteous is up to us. But when we live by faith when you and I live by faith we trust and we have hope that our righteousness is secure in Christ. Here's the beauty of the gospel. When you and I place our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ He gives us His righteousness. He gives us his holiness. And then the Holy Spirit, when we're walking by faith, it begins to work in us on a daily basis to conform us to the image of His Son. The Holy Spirit is the one that does the work. The Holy Spirit is the one that does the transformation. We're going to see that when we get to Galatians 5.22. 22 through 26. uh, When we get there, we're going to see that it is the Holy Spirit that transforms us. It is the Holy Spirit that changes us. That perfect holiness only comes when Christ glorifies us. That our holiness is only given to us when we are resting by faith in His work. Look what Paul says in verse 5. That's exactly what he tells us. For through the Spirit, by faith we ourselves eagerly work for the hope of righteousness is that what it says no what does it say we wait for the hope of righteousness we're not working for it we're not trying to earn it in our own street no it is the holy spirit transforming us working in us and we wait upon him to work then there's a second major difference that paul points out And it's this, that our lives become characterized by love, not laws. That our lives become characterized by love, not laws. See, if our life is driven by works, then our focus, our emphasis is going to be keeping these laws and these rules and these regulations. And anyone who doesn't do that, we're going to look down upon them. Anyone who doesn't do that, we're going to say they don't measure up. And when we don't measure up, we're going to beat ourselves up about it. And we're going to constantly be condemning ourselves, even though Paul has said that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. However, when we have a Christ-centered life that is driven by faith, guess what happens? It expresses, it, it expresses itself in love not law. Look what Paul says in verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. In other words, what you do doesn't matter. Here's what matters. Faith working through love. Faith working through love see we've been talking about this whole idea of faith for this this entire series as we've walked through this book and some of you have asked like okay Eric, I, I get that we're to live by faith but god does ask us to obey him god does ask us to follow his law how does this work well it works this way it's faith working itself out through love love for god and love for others that's how faith works itself out. That's how we're actually to obey what Jesus commanded us to obey. That we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. How do we do that? By faith. And that faith then begins to work itself out through love. Make sense? I hope so. Because this this is the this is, when we grasp this, as we, as we begin to move into this section of Scripture about ap- applying what Paul's been teaching, it's going to help us understand how we actually live out the christian life it's this faith working itself out through love so paul is very clear with the galatians that what ultimately matters is not circumcision it's not it's not being circumcised being uncircumcised none of that matters what matters is work is faith working itself out through love now why is this important to us why does this even matter because the reality is none of us view circumcision that way, right? None of us are thinking, we just don't think about it in that, in that way. It's not, we don't view it as something is necessary. That's just not part of our culture. That's just not, none of that. But here's what happens. Oftentimes we insist on other things. Sometimes it's political views. Sometimes it's sacraments, the way you were baptized, Sometimes it's certain doctrines. Sometimes it's, it's particular denominations. That those things become the most important thing. That without those things, then it's really not, we're really not following Christ. And, and what ultimately counts, what Paul says, is faith working itself out through love. The one thing that makes all the difference is faith. And not just any faith. What really matters is faith, but not just any faith. Paul is saying that the faith that ultimately matters is a faith in Jesus that so transforms us that it enables us and empowers us to love God and to love others. That's the kind of faith that matters. That's the kind of faith that God desires of us, that we would have a faith that expresses itself in loving God and loving others. And if our faith doesn't express itself in that way, then it's not the kind of faith that Paul's talking about. Because faith, he says, expresses itself through love. Now, James, who happened to be Jesus' half-brother, said something very similar to Paul. Oftentimes, people say that Paul and and James kind of taught two different aspects of law and faith and works and, and all these things. But really, they're saying the exact same thing. So James chapter uh, 2, here's what, the, here's what James says in James chapter 2. And he's saying the exact same thing that Paul said. He says, what good is it? What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So again, James is talking about faith and works. He's just coming at it from, he's saying the same thing, coming at it from a different angle. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is it to say, oh man, I'll pray for you? Even though I've got a sandwich here, Paul's saying, James is saying, what good is that? You say you have faith, but you're not following it up with love. And he goes on to say, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? Dead. Dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith. And I have works. And then James says, show me your faith. Or show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. What is he saying? The exact same thing that Paul said in Galatians 5. That faith works itself through love. That's the kind of faith that we're to have. A faith that works itself genuinely through love. Authentic faith, true faith, is always a working faith. It is always an expressive faith. And genuine faith expresses itself through love for God and a love for others. That's what Paul and that's what James are both saying to us that real faith will express itself through works not the other way around and that's important for us to grasp and to understand and the only way church the only way that we are truly going to be free remember this whole theme that we've been talking about is freedom in christ and the only way that you and i can be set free It's when we have a faith, when we have a faith in God that so transforms our lives that it begins to express itself, it begins to show itself, it begins to manifest itself in a love for God and a love for others. And when that happens, our lives begin to be transformed and we begin to become more holy, more like Christ, and we are truly set free. We're going to keep talking about this over the next several weeks as Paul begins to peel back layers of what it means for you and I to be to live out this Christian life, to live out our faith. But here's what I want to end with. That the faith, the faith that produces both a love for God and a love for others, what Paul says in this text, that kind of faith is the only faith that matters. Heavenly Father, we're grateful so for your mercy and grace. Because the reality is that if we had to work this up on our own, if we had to conjure up this kind of faith, we, we can't do it. But it is only your spirit working in us that enables us and empowers us to love God and love others, to have our faith express itself through love. And so, Father, I pray for anyone this morning that that is not a Christ follower, that they would see how much you love them, that that your work on the cross is sufficient for their salvation. And today they would begin their journey of faith by placing their trust in you. And for those of us who are Christ followers, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have that kind of faith through the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would have a faith that expresses itself, that manifests itself, that shows itself through a love for you and a love for others. And as James talked about, that we would show our faith by our works. Not resting and relying on our works, but showing the faith that we have in you by our works, those works of loving you and loving others expressed because of our faith. And so, Father, we trust you today. We rest in you today, realizing that there is absolutely nothing that we can do to justify ourselves before you or to sanctify ourselves and make ourselves more like Jesus. But it is entirely upon your work that we want to place our faith and our trust, and what you have done, and what you are continuing to do in our lives as you make us more like Jesus. And we pray this in his powerful name. Amen.